First Peter 2, First Peter 2, last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. That was the title of the message. He's the rock of our salvation. First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to just go back and read where we read before in verse 4, because I feel like before we go on, we need to look at also the fact that He's the rock of our sanctification. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Our faith, our faith rests solely on Him. It doesn't rest on Him and our effort. It rests solely on Him and what He's already done. It's a finished work. I'm so grateful that the work is finished. We're not looking forward to something yet to be done. We've put our trust in that which has already been done. And we thank God for that because our anchor is now. It's in the nasty now and now, not the, just the sweet by and by. So He's the rock of our salvation. And most of us would never, ever take exception to that. If we've been Christians, and some of you maybe for a long time, you have known and believed for a long time that Jesus is the rock of your salvation. But Jesus is also the rock of your sanctification. He is not only the one who got us in and whom our faith rests, but He's also the one who not only got us in, but upon whom our saving life rests on the very life of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a big word, and we use it a lot. And it just simply really means the process whereby God conforms us into the image of His Son. That once we get into the relationship, then fellowship occurs. Fellowship can't occur without relationship. Relationship can occur without fellowship, but not the other way around. And so once we get into fellowship with Him, and we uh, have come to saving faith, just as surely as we rest solely on Him for our salvation, we also rest solely on Him for our sanctification. And there's a wonderful, wonderful illustration of this truth in the Bible and in the life of Moses. And we're going to look at it this morning to illustrate this truth. But let's just go back and see where we started it from last week because this is part two of really the same message. Coming to him in verse four. Oh, would you stand um, in reverence and respect for God's precious word if you're physically able? Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. All but friends, if you're part of the body of Christ, you've repented toward God and put faith in Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, and who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Praise his glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. You recall, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through the Bible a good bit like we did last week, so get ready and uh, be ready to turn and back and forth from the Old and New Testament. But turn left and let's go to Matthew 21, if you would, please. 
And we talked about this 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 business of Jesus being the cornerstone, and we we got Ted here to verify with us that the cornerstone is the stone that's strategically placed in the building that sets the tone and the nature and the shape and the direction for the rest of the building. And it has to be placed correct because if it's not placed correctly, it influences the trajectory of the rest of the building and messes it up. Jesus is God's elect, chosen, precious stone. He was chosen uh, before the foundation of the world. The method and the means of salvation was already determined before the fall ever happened. God had already preordained and preordestined all of that, predestined all of that to happen. He is the one. He's not a one. He is the one. He is the cornerstone. And we went and took a journey through the scripture and saw multiple scriptures, multiple scriptures, and God willing, I'm going to email some of these to you this week, but we saw multiple scriptures of where God refers to himself as the rock of our salvation in the Old and New Testament. We're standing on eternal footing when we stand on the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And the foundation of the building on which we stand is the cornerstone is Jesus. And the doctrine that he gave is the doctrine of the apostles. And they laid the foundation. He laid the foundation through them. And we build up on that which has already been laid. And if we look at Matthew 21 and we look at verses 42 through 44, um, we drew from this last week. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. In verse 44, what he's speaking of is this. For saved people, saved people, the profession of Jesus Christ breaks you. That's called repentance. That first part is repentance. Repentance toward God, faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, The one in whom I esteem, the one whom I look upon, says the Lord, is a man who is broken in spirit, poor and contrite in their heart. That's how God uses the Word of God to break us from our pride and some false notion that somehow or another on our own we can be acceptable before Him. So that first part is repentance. The second part of that, when it says, on whomever it falls, it will grind into powder, is judgment. That's judgment for the unrepentant. And the Lord's saying this, you repent, you'll be broken. And brokenness and repentance leads to faith in Jesus, which leads to life. If you remain unrepentant, the very profession of faith that rescues the repentant will be the profession of faith that grinds you to powder in judgment. There's going to come a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On this side of eternity, it means salvation. On that side of eternity, if you're forced to bow, it means judgment and He will grind the unrepentant to powder. We don't say that with any kind of glee or joy. The Bible says in uh, Ezekiel 33:11 that the Lord said, I take no pleasure in the death of the ungodly, but that they would turn from their wicked ways Turn and repent as I live, the Lord said. Turn and live. But there is judgment coming. If we abandon that, we abandon the Bible. And we're no longer a church. We might as well be the Kiwanis Club. But He is the rock of our salvation. And none of us, most of us in here, would not take exception to this. Nor will we take exception to the fact that He's the rock of our sanctification. 
But in practical living, sometimes we live as if that's challenged. Sometimes we live as if that's really not what we believe. He got us in and we stand on Him in relationship. But oh, dear ones, we stand on Him in fellowship as well. And there is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful illustration of this truth in the, uh, in the um, wilderness account using Moses as its lead character. But before we go there, I want you to look at something. Look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We touched on this a little bit last week. But I want you to see this before we go to the Exodus and Numbers narrative just to get an idea of where uh, the, uh, the illustration is coming from. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Remember that. But with most of them, and buddy, that's an understatement. But with most of them, all but two. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. The spiritual rock that followed them and sustained them through the wilderness wanderings was Christ. He's spoken of as the rock throughout the scriptures. He's the cornerstone. He's the precious stone. But there are two incidents in the wilderness wanderings that we can look at here to illustrate the fact that he's not only the rock of our salvation, but he's the rock of my sanctification. Let's go look at Exodus chapter 17. Turn way left, if you will, and let's go to Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, <clears throat> we're a little over 30, somewhere around, days into the wilderness wanderings. Uh, they have gone through the Red Sea. They've been delivered from 430 years of Egyptian bondage, and now they're out in the wilderness. Time and again, we've emphasized that what should have been an 11-day journey, it should have taken 11 days to go from Egypt to the Promised Land, wound up taking 40 years because of stubborn, obstinate disbelief. They just would not trust God. The same God who miraculously parted the Red Sea, hardened Pharaoh's heart, and got him out of that mess, wasn't big enough, as far as they were concerned, to get them in. There are a lot of Christians who got out, but haven't yet got in. The, the in-between, oh my goodness, the in-between of Christian living, to get out but not get in. See, Jesus is enough to get you out, He's your rock of your salvation. But all oh, dear ones, He's enough to get you into. And until we begin to believe that, until we begin to trust Him, getting in will only be a dream. It will just be, all oh, that's for the sweet by and by. There'll be a day way up yonder when the saints are called in the roll. And that's when we'll celebrate victory. The only problem with that is the Bible. The victory is for here and now. And here's what he said he did, when he took the water from the rock. And you'll recall, and we'll go to 17, 3 through 6, and here it is. And the people thirsted there for water. They're in the wilderness of sin, and they are at a particular spot that we'll talk about in a minute. But they thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock without thirst? With thirst. 
So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Boy, the situation had gotten intense. He'd already had to, he had to twist their arm to convince them that he was the deliverer in the first place. Now they get out, then they're going, Well, Moses, that's just great. You've got us out, but you can't get us in. This is what many of us in Christendom do. Jesus, you got me saved, but victory continues to evade me. Why am I out here in this? Why is it parched? And then your recollection of Egypt begins to be more fond than what Egypt was. And we retreat back to slavery and think, oh my, it was better over there. Look, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They're ready to stone me. I've got a coup potentially on my hands. And the Lord said to Moses, Go before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall also strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place. Listen. At Mount Horeb, Mount Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was just a particular summit of Mount Horeb. So it might as well have said Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb means desert. In the desert place, God brought forth water. In the middle of hopelessness, God brought forth water. And he said, listen, listen, here's what you do. Can you imagine what's at stake here? You're leading two and a half million people. They're looking to you and your leadership and they're within an eyelash of killing you because they doubt you in the first place. And you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up here and hit a rock and water's going to come out and feed all of you. And you go, man, I hope that works. Because man, how embarrassing it's going to be if we go up there and say, Wham! And nothing happens. And everybody's going to go, boy! And they're really going to be picking up stones then. It was an act of faith and trust that Moses said, okay, God, because you said it, I'll do it. And he goes up there and he strikes the rock. Who is that rock? Who does the New Testament tell us is that rock? Who did Jesus identify Himself as being to the woman at the water of the well, the Samaritan woman, and said, Woman, I've got water that you can drink of, but if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Who was that rock but Jesus Christ Himself? There were 18 different Hebrew words from which He could have used and from which the word strike could have been translated, but the one that God, the Holy Spirit, picked was a mortal Blow. It wasn't just any kind of strike, Rick. It was the kind of strike that if you leveled it at a man, it would instantly kill him. What is that but a picture of that Jesus is the rock of our what? Our salvation. Because on Mount Calvary, God struck the rock. And out of God's striking of the rock came rivers of living water. Amen? Jesus is the rock, 1 Corinthians 10 proves it, that followed them through the wilderness. He strikes the rock and two and a half million some odd people get full. Praise His wonderful name. It's a picture of our salvation. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. But oh dear ones, dear ones, this is about 
45 days or 50 or 60 days into the wilderness wanderings. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 20. Go with me to Numbers chapter 20 if you will. In Numbers chapter 20, fast forward some 40 years. Some 40 years. And not much has changed. It's been one lap after the wilderness after the other. The victory and the promises have evaded this group because they just would not believe God. You see, in Exodus chapter 17, Moses was not instructed to strike the people, although he probably felt like it. He was instructed to strike the rock. I'm glad God's patient. I'm glad God's enduring and kind because surely he should have stricken me. But he struck the rock because Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Salvation has always been through the death of the substitute. Praise his wonderful name. So he didn't strike the rebels, he struck the rock. And by the way, the Hebrew word from which that word strike comes is the same Hebrew word that's used in Exodus 2.12 when it says Moses struck the Egyptian. Killed him. It's death. It's death. It's a mortal blow. So, 40 years later, some odd 40 years later, here we are. One lap of the wilderness after the other. Does Christian life sometimes seem that way to you? It's just one more lap of more of the same. And we get into church and we put on these faces and we make these claims about the victory that we hardly ever experience. It's just theory. And you're supposed to say it because if you hang around long enough with other Christians, you'll pick up the language. And then you realize, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then we assert that this is the way it is when in reality that's not our experience. Wonder why. Wonder why. Because see, if Jesus can get you out, then He ought to be able to get you in. And so if He's able to get us out, He's also able to get us in. Apparently the problem doesn't lie with Him. Apparently the problem doesn't lie with Him. Forty years later, here we go again. And some of you feel like the Christian life is just that. Here we go again. Let's read it together, verse 1. Then the children of Israel... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Can I just say this parenthetically? Miriam was Moses' sister. Miriam played a prominent role in Moses' life. Miriam was used by God to help rescue him when he was a baby. Miriam was the one that saw to it that even... His biological mother got to nurse him in the formative years of his life. And that's how he found out what we talked about last week. How he knew he was going to be the deliverer. Because Jacobed told him while he was nursing, she was nursing him. And he knew it already. And then so Miriam, but let me tell you this. Miriam's disbelief didn't purchase her anything. And she too died in the wilderness. Moses' disbelief didn't purchase him anything either. And he too died in the wilderness. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are loyal to him. 
He's not looking for spiritual big shots. Quite the contrary. He's looking for spiritual pygmies. Because it's only spiritual pygmies that can become spiritual big shots because pygmies figure they better trust the big shepherd. He's looking for broken, humble people. That's what he's looking for. So Miriam perishes in the wilderness as well. She doesn't get to go in. Now, there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. This sound familiar? And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. What a wonderful affirmation of praise. Why have you brought, uh, uh, brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates? Nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And that was the correct response. And look what the Lord said to him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother, Aaron, gather the congregation together, and what? Speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield water. Thus you shall bring forth, uh, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord and he commanded he commanded as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. That's how to win friends and influence people. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? You know what? Moses over-magnified his partnership with the Lord. Must we bring water out of this rock? Let me tell you something, Moses. You're not going to bring water out of a rock. I can tell you this. You're a big shot and all, but I can tell you this. Absent God's touch, you're not going to do it. It's going to be exclusively God if water comes out of that rock. Must we, look at the place Moses is at at this time. And he says, must we bring water? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice, no less, with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land of which I have given you. Moses, you're going to die. Look over there. There it is right there. You're not going to get in and in. And I have compassion for Moses at that time. Don't you? He put up with that for 40 years. He doesn't get to go in. I tell you first pass at that, it seems excessive. You mean after putting up with all that he put up with for 40 years, he doesn't get to go in simply because he hit the rock twice? The reason he didn't get to go in, that's right, buddy. And the reason he didn't get to go in is because the old covenant won't take you in. Moses represents the old covenant. Moses represents the law. The law only and magnifies you and I's need for the new covenant. The new covenant saint gets to go in, not because God's a distant God who just talks to one man, but God's a God who created a royal priesthood, a holy nation full of priests that could commune with Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can have as much of God as you want. 
He got, he took matters into his own hands. He was impatient with the people. Instead of ministering to them, he was ministering at them. And there is a difference. And he took matters into his own hands. And the Bible says the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. James 1.20 And he said, Wham! And he struck the rock. Dear ones, he did that. He messed up the testimony of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He hit Jesus again. He crucified Him again. No, it wasn't enough the first time. It wasn't enough. And the Lord said, no, don't hit that rock. Speak to it. Speak to it. Affirm what's already been done. Speak the words of life. I'm not talking about word of faith. Name it, claim it, confess it, possess it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about take the Word of God. Own it. Drink it. Believe it. Christ in you. The hope of glory. He got you out. You're in between. And brother, He can get you in. He won't get us in by taking matters into our own hands, losing our patience, casting doubt on the sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrected life of His Son. The devil wants to talk us into that. He said, I can't do anything about this bunch now. They've got a relationship with God. He meets with His minions and says, they've already got a relationship with Him. And I know he's, it's eternal relationship, so we'll just mess with them and make them cast doubt on whether or not that relationship is enough to give them the victory that they can't get on their own. He can't do it. He's not that big. You've gone too far. It's not that good. Oh, dear ones, it is that good. And then some. And then some. He hit Jesus Christ all over again. Every time the Catholics take the Lord's Supper, they strike the rock again and again and again and again and again through the doctrine of transubstantiation. They say that becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the reason they do that is He's good for salvation, but He's not good for holy living. He got us out, but He cannot get us in. And so when they take the Lord's Supper, they just nail Him up there over and over and over again. And friend, you and I do it too. If He's not enough to get us in, then that casts doubt on whether or not we really got out. He's enough to get us in. He's the rock of my sanctification. He's the rock of my salvation. He got me out and He'll get me in. See, the promised land is not heaven. And we've talked about that time and again. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is victorious Christian living on earth. And the reason we know that is because is there are enemies over there. There are not going to be any enemies in heaven. There were enemies over there to threaten them. And God took care of them. And He's as big as His promises, dear ones. But you can't believe and trust His promises unless you know them. And we commune with Him. Jesus magnified this truth at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was given to celebrate the striking of the rock and the water that came. But look at John 7. It's in the context He says this. Look at John 7, 37 and 8. See, Moses is a type of the Old Covenant. He's a type of the Old Covenant. Uh, an external resolve motivated by um, etern internal confusion to, to obey to get God's favor. To somehow or another prove yourself worthy of the salvation you were never worthy of in the first place. To somehow or another eke out a Christian life that says if I'll just try harder, God's obligated to do more. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus can make water come from a rock. No! Only Jesus can make water come from a rock. 
It's a matter of trusting Him. We need to start nestling and stop wrestling. We need to rest in the finished work that He's already done. It's already been done. Don't strike the rock. Deem Him to be enough. All saints, He is enough. No longer under law, we're under grace. Law will only take you so far to show you your need of something more. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that if the old covenant were enough, there wouldn't have been a reason for a new one. If it were flawless, there would have been no reason for a new one. It is flawless. And the new covenant makes the old one, listen to this word, obsolete. How many of you have an 8-track tape player? You know the most aggravating thing about an 8-track tape player? There was, only one, there was always one song on the 8-track tape player. And it usually was your favorite where they would take the sound and go down and then it would go and switch the back of the other one and go back up again. You've aged yourself if you know what I'm talking about. It happened to me. Look at y'all. Y'all like a cow looking at a new gate. Y'all never experienced that? In the middle of a 8-track where the sound goes down in the middle of your favorite song and it changes tracks and goes back up again. I'm off the subject. But that's what happens. But you don't have an 8-track tape player because we've got DVDs now and we've got CDs. And none of you have an 8-track tape player. None of you are buying 8-track tapes because they're obsolete. Well, why in the world are you trying to take a DVD and put it in an 8-track tape player? You're trying, we often try in the body of Christ to take new wine and put it in old wineskins. We need to renounce the old and embrace the new. We have life in us. We have life in us. His death, burial, and resurrection was more than enough. And victory is ours for the believing, not achieving, because He achieved. Oh man, we want some... Uh, four-point method or, or some, you know, we're, we, 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 and I, I do it too, and we, we, we succumb to the temptation. Well, just give me the ten things we're supposed to do. How many books are written? Seven ways to do this. Seven ways to do that. Ten ways to have a fair fight with you. Uh, your next door neighbor, uh, ten ways to have success. Here's the seven things you need to do in business. You know, and we all, you know, when, and back when I was at the church I was at before, and I had a mailbox. Uh, I would get, my mailbox was always full of every kind of conference you could imagine. Go to this one, go to that one. You're insufficient. You are, you are, you are spiritually depleted and impoverished if you don't go over here and hear from this conference. If you don't go over here and do this, you don't go over here and do that. And I'm telling you right now, we could have been to a conference every single week. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with conferences, but I'm going to tell you this right now. There's no substitute for the life of Jesus within. He lives inside you. We've got everything we need for life and godliness by virtue of our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look what he said in John 7, 37 and 38. This is in this context, celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles, which celebrates the water coming from the rock that, that took care of all of them and kept them from uh, perishing in the desert. And look what he said. It's the backdrop. On that last day, the great day of the Feast, Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Let him come to me. Let him come to me. Let him come to the one 
who can make his way through a, a crowd and a woman with a blood issue all her life and spent all her livelihood to get rid of. And the doctors offered her no help. And all she does, motivated by faith, is touch the hem of his garment. And healing did not come from him. He was and is healing. Line up with him. He is enough. Let our appetites be for Him. Lord, let me commune with You. Let me listen to Your Word. Let me pray. Let me seek You. And let me obey what You say and walk in the confidence that everything You require of me, You've already done. Look what He says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me. Let him come to Me and drink. And he who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Ha-ha! This he spoke concerning the law and the rules he would give. And those who received them could walk in them and give water to those around them. It's not what he said. This he spoke concerning what? The Spirit whom, <laughs> whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. How could a impetuous, hard-headed, Arrogant, prideful, overconfident man like Simon Peter cut and run after he said, I will not deny you, I will stand firm. And then, later on, boldly stand before everybody who would love to kill him on the day of Pentecost, preach the gospel boldly and out loud, and 3,000 people get converted and the church burst. What happened? The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. No one having tasted old wine desires immediately the new because the old tastes better. You know why Jesus said that? You, you, we're raised to be performance oriented. We come out of the womb performance oriented. We grade everything. We poll everything. How many times do the average American take out the trash a week? And you'll get a phone call and they'll ask you how many times you take out the trash a week. And it'll wind up on the pole somewhere. We poll everything. Everything that we do. We chronicle everything we do in Facebook. I went to the grocery store. And then you go, okay. All right. And then we, you know, and we, and we keep up with and we measure and we constantly measure. We look at each other. We measure. We, we scale. We come up with things. Mm, okay, let's see. Okay. And we, we give credentials and we do all of these things. We just love to do all of these things. We've got A, B, C's and D's and 1 through 100 and everything else and all that. And pretty soon you get this vision in your eye, in your mind, in your spirit that salvation is that way too. And you've got to measure up. Just like you have to measure up in every other enterprise, you've got to measure up in salvation salvation. Jesus is your salvation, but oh dear ones, He is your hope for holy living. He is your sanctification. He is your all. Don't strike the rock. Speak to it. Take the words of life. Bring them into your spirit and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water because you will have been well fed and people around you will not be blessed by what you draw upon to eke out to them. They'll be blessed by the overflow of what you're doing and what's happening within you. That's the Christian life. That is not exceptional Christian living. That's reasonable service. That is putting new wine in new wine skins. That's saying, you know what? I've tasted this old stuff and it sounded good and it tasted good for a while, but I'm here to tell you, you haven't tasted anything and you've tasted anew. Oh, he's enough. He's enough.
Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Twenty-eight to thirty-one. God has not rescinded His offer for you and I to go in the promised land. Aren't you grateful for that? He has rescinded it. As a matter of fact, the only way impossible to get there, He's made the way. Isn't that wonderful? He's done it through the saving life of His Son. Oh, consider this, dear one. Romans five ten. If when we were if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. By his life. We focus on the death side. Rock of salvation. We also need to move in to focus on the life side. He's the rock of my sanctification. We need to say, oh Lord, this is just the beginning. You brought me out and not to live in between. We're caught between two opinions. We're neither hot nor cold. The little children's song. When you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. Barney, when you're neither halfway up, you're neither up nor down. That's how we live. We got out. We hadn't yet got in. How do you get in? Well, here are the eight things. No! 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 No, 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 no! You get in by resting and trusting in an informed spirit of what's already been done to get you there. The Word of God. <laughs> Jeremiah said, your words were found to me and I ate them. I ate them. I ate them. And Job said, your word to me has been more precious to me than my necessary food. Whatever it takes for me to sustain life and live, the amount of food is less important to me than your word. Believe it. Receive the testimony of God regarding His precious Son. You are righteous in Him. You are positionally right with God. And to understand that you're positionally right with God is the key to practically living it out. You are spiritual gazillionaires. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been accepted in the Beloved. You have been forgiven of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemptive work found in that blood and the power of that blood. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle of God is among men. I will write my law on His Spirit and they'll know me from the least of them to the greatest. Everyone will say know the Lord because the new covenant has come spit out the old wine and take a big drink of the new look what he says oh man in 28 anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace Moses did not get to move in because he insulted the spirit of grace by striking a rock that had already been stricken. And we're grateful for that example because Moses represents the Old Covenant and the Old Covenant won't get you in. It'll just show you your need for getting in. And when you get in, God's got a plan for you to get in. Amen. And it's belief. One more scripture and we'll go. It's one of my favorite verses. As a matter of fact, Spencer told me the other day, and I didn't know this. He said it was his favorite verse in the Bible. 
You read the Bible long enough, then all they, they all become your favorite. Ten fourteen. of Hebrews for by one offering one offering Mount Horeb striking strike strike the rock one offering one offering he has perfected forever positional I stand perfected forever did you did you did you did you go over across the solid rock with your family that, that, to, to email that to you was was a uh, um, that was a Karen that uh, suggested that, and I thought, what a great suggestion! You know what? Did you go over there? Hey, hey, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen now, but just for a minute, just for a minute, think about this, think about this, man. I think about this in light of the kind of person I've been all my life. None of you are a greater gooberhead than me. I'm the chief of gooberheads. The chief executive officer of sin. That's how I feel like I am. And yet God has said, you are perfected forever. What does the lyric say? What does the lyric say? Faultless. Faultless. To stand before the throne. Oh. Oh. Can you imagine? Think about that. Think about what you deserve and contrast that with what you're going to get. He's going to present you and I holy, blameless, and above reproach. Good, not alive. Isn't that wonderful? He has perfected forever. And here's, that's the, that's the first rock. He's the rock of my salvation. Those who are being sanctified. That's positional. My perfection and my sanctification are not distant or far removed. They're completely related. And as I believe in my perfection, that's the catalyst for living out in position and practical living what is positionally true of me. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You're perfected forever if you know Jesus. If you don't know Him, you can be. You can repent and put your faith in His Son. Dear ones, if there ever has been a time, this is the most exciting time that you could imagine to be a Christian. Look around at what's going on in, in all the darkness that's encroaching upon our country and think of the potential and the prospect of being light in that mess. Think of the potential of the hope that you have and how stark the contrast will be between the dark as it gets darker and the light that you and I can be. We go into the jewelry store. We don't go often because we come out of there in a mess. But we go out of the jewelry store. And you know what? You go into the jewelry store and what do they do? They take jewels and what do they do? They present them on a white sheet of paper. And they take the jewelry and put it on a white sheet of paper. No. You know what they do? They put it on a piece of black velvet cloth as black as they can get. You know why? Because it makes the brilliance of the diamond stand out all the greater. That's what you and I get to be right now in this country. Right now, to stand out brilliant against a backdrop of evil and darkness and say, Jesus is enough. 
Is he enough? Is he enough? We're going to talk more about this. But I want to ask you a question. Don't hit the rock. Don't hit the rock. Please don't hit the rock. Don't, don't strike the rock. Speak to it. Speak to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm going to receive by faith what you've already done. And I'm going to believe you that you're going to make that a living reality in my life. And then all hell's going to break loose against you. It will. Only so as you get to experience the truth of what you just professed. That way it's not theory anymore. It's a living reality. God brought you out. And dear ones, He brought you out. And He can bring you in.